toast to a grand return. To a grand return. He opened the bag the wrong way. He opened the bag the wrong way. Our hypothetical fellow. He got all the greasy seasonings at the bottom of the bag. Have you ever opened a chip bag from the bottom first? That is the correct way to open a chip bag. See, the seasonings have marinated at the bottom, allowing it to stew in the uh, red 40. Is that right? Red 540? What's the one? Yellow? Red 40 is made in bugs. Made in bugs? Made of bugs. I think most things are nowadays. (laughs) I was having this discussion. My friend, she is allergic. To Red 40? To Red 40. She cannot eat Red 40. I feel like that's like all of humanity. I I know at this point. (laughs) Well, yeah, everybody, but she's particularly sensitive to it. She notices brain fog and a uh, proclivity towards believing things people tell her. So her two big symptoms. What's what's been happening? Where have you been? I've been studying tomes. The tomes of Nostradamus, the tomes of Orpheus, and his relationship with orcs, urchins, and hedgehogs. I'm sensing a parallel between uh, hedgehogs and urchins, given the, the spikes. Indeed, the name of the urchin, the sea urchin, is derived from the word for the hedgehog, Orsine. Which sounds to me a lot also like the bear, Ursine, Ursa. And this was used as an epithet for fairies. Fairies were called urchins. And I could sense this. I was watching a film with my friend, a, a Payne LeVay film about sea urchins. And it got me thinking about the, the word Ursine. And I'm like, this definitely has to do with fairies. There's no way that we have this great, great of a word that's not related to something supernatural. And I was right when I was reading Thomas Keatley's book, one of the greatest books ever written, no doubt. And another, another vitally important element is that fairies are also called Neptunes. They are called Neptunes. Let's, let's stay on urchins for a second. I'm, I'm, two thoughts come to mind. One is a stodgy, like, let's, let's go back to 1500s Europe, where it was just acknowledged that there were there were fae and there were uh, mythical creatures interacting, like pre pre industrial, and I picture a stodgy old man, like maybe there's a fairy outside of his house, like dancing and having fun, and he's like, "Get out of here, you fucking urchin!" But I also picture it as like a, a homophobic epithet hurled at Rimbo <laughs> outside of a well, bar. True, he, you I mean, fairy. <laughs> he is a fairy. Well, fairy, he is a fairy, which, and which he is an urchin. Yeah, apps. That is perhaps this is a new X Y. This is a new political compass. It's like how urchin are you? How fairy are you? Even though both are fair, both are both are first <laughs> same. same they, thing. Well, they are of the they are of the second second order fairies. There's orders of fairies according to Keatley. There are fairies which are like critters. There's like fairy creatures. There's fairy as the fairies of romance, which is like Morgan le Fay, which is like human beings that are magical. Merlin, Morgan le Fay. Um, and you can become a fairy. You, if you get spirited away, you become a fairy, a second order fairy. And then the third, which is just all 
magical creatures are fair as fairy. And so third order, all our urchins and fairies are both, but within that order is this XY, this political compass of how, how fey fairy are you and how urchin are you? I feel like the second is, is very, the, the big word of the, the pod today is interstitial. It's very much a, a medium between full, when you whimsy max so hard that you just become a myth. Mm-hmm. It's a danger. It's a secret it danger. Is. There's a, there's another very apparent danger to whimsy maxing. Something we'll talk about later in the episode, the, the half, the shadow that underlies all great moments. What in life. lays in the shadow of whimsy? But uh, we'll, we'll for, such a, for such a bright light, it must cast a terrible shadow. What was the other thing you were saying? It was the other other thing past urchin. Orpheus, the mm. relation to Orpheus. There, that pop, could be a, orfs, orcs, puck, Robin Goodfellow, third degree, the third orc, a third degree. Yeah, orc. I think is uh, you know I think um, Tolkien coined it. But he coined it from uh, Orsian, from the, the fairy word urchin. That's one of the things that, that sticks out to me uh, as you were presenting this idea to several other people was a lot of people wouldn't consider you know, like orcs, dwarfs, gnomes, typical fae. They would be more like, oh, these are like earthlings, they're you know, earth elementals or something well, like that. they're not aware of the... The classifications. They're not well, I, I think that's that's what I'm. What you should elucidate is the, the Fey is almost like a whimsy taxonomy. Yeah, I'm yeah. like Carl. I'm like Carl Linnaeus for fairies, or Keatley is, but I will continue the project. Ten reasons you need to read Keatley now. You're gonna get so much fucking pussy because you know about fairies, bro. You show up to the park. You start. Whimsy maxing, yeah, speaking, public, poetics. Pub, whimsy maxing in public is dangerous. Why is that? Dangerous for everybody else, how much fun they're going to have. Or how much jealousy, how much, like, vitriol. It does, it does evoke the envy. You know, I've never, this is a story I've never told. I don't even know if I've told you. This is, like, the only negative tarot card reading I ever gave. You've given a lot of negative tarot No, 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 no. the only one that had a horrible response I know, I know one other one that comes to mind. That's probably not a pod story, but involved. But that a, came after a sibling of a friend of the MIA. A sibling of a friend. Is that like a party? Oh, oh, little yeah. yeah. This is and this is the same exact dynamic. Right. It only happens when you're in the other person's house. <laughs> it only they're all because they're come. They feel master. They're, you know, they're the master of their house. They're the, the master you're, of their domain. You're a lowly urchin. And I'm an, ur- I'm an urchin come into Whimsy Max. Mm-hmm. And like a court jester, they feel capable of like, cut his head off. But I was at this house party. This is years ago. I was still in high school. This was, this was very early. Pre-meme analysis. This was very early. I was at this, this party for my local arts people. And one of the ghost hunters was there one of the ghost hunters was there like the, of ghost hunters yeah, D- dave dave of ghost hunters and the owner of the house had he'd come home and i'd been reading all these people he's a much older a much older fellow i'm reading everybody at the party and everybody's like well because it's fun it's whimsical i read him and he's like i don't think a teenager has anything to tell me about how i live my life 
and it was with such vitriol. And then he stormed away that the, and every, everybody else was like, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It, it was, I was unaffected, but I still remember it to this day because it was the most severe negative reaction. And it wasn't a bad reading. I think that the card was cruelty, though. I, I can picture him, like, his voice cracking while he's saying it, and he's, like, having, you know, those, like, Hyperborea edits where it's just shit flashing. It's, like, him just, like, beating <laughs> everyone in his life, and it's, like, you're, like, oh, you'll get what you want, but you'll be cruel about it. And he's, like... <laughs> um, it, it's often... And I've, I've crossed this a lot when you... You hit it right on the head. You you like true true sight true sight. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It's like in video games. It's when you got perfect accuracy, and you just like one shot someone. An eagle eye. Yeah, yeah. They just it's it's one of two things. It's either like a breakdown of it was one of two things, but they're the same thing: crying or I'm gonna fucking kill you. A lot of those also involve walking away. Which is kind of like, you know, fight or flight. It's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous game to... Because I don't lie with the readings. Or I do my best to not lie. Sometimes you're like reading somebody relatively important, quote-unquote. And it's like, oh, I can't tell. I don't know. I don't know. Like what? And, but the anxiety is generally before the reading. Like, is this going to, am I going to have to say like, well, the project's not going to work out or this is going to be bad, but I've never had one in that way turn out bad. But I would, if it did, I would still tell the truth. It's a good chance to plug, get a tarot reading from at the God disc right now. Hit him up on Instagram. Um, this is making me think I, I, the, the thread, the line of thought, the thread of thought I want to follow is, um, let's hear some tarot stories. What's, like the most um, positive response you you can remember off the top of your head you've gotten from a reading. The mo- <laughs> I mean, the most positive ones are the ones that lead to um, very positive friendships and relationships. What kind of relationships? <laughs> Just good, good. What's what's the sexiest <laughs> sexiest tarot card reading? Um, I guess there's. There are, like, I can, I'll, I'll classify them. Okay. I'll give a classification. A the, the peak, the peak, is the the sexy tarot card reading, when it's like we have. There is a really deep human connection occurring. Uh-huh. It's like I am I am bearing witness to some part of you that others have not. I'm seeing something. You're letting and like. The invitation is made. You've let me in, like a bit, like a like. Are you going to brother Frank? Some orgone exchange. Exactly. There, the, there's the, the, the superimposition begins. Oh. The, the vibes converge. You can feel that that animus projection happening <laughs> in the moment. This, I mean, and this happens with all readings. There's always a convergence of orgone, oh. but <laughs> it's not always lasting. But I will say, every reading is this good. I, I mean, you have to pay for <laughs> people. I mean, everybody remembers. Everybody remembers. Um, but so okay. So the ones where like a deep relationship is formed, a friendship is formed, romantic relationship is formed. Then just because of the social nature, there's like celebrity readings, 
which I remember very clearly. Then there are friend readings, I would say, that are like that, that have stuck with me. They can be turning points in relationships or turning points in life. And, and they'll come back and say, like, you had this profound effect. And then I'd say party readings. The party readings have interesting results. Or, you know, like we like there's parties we went to last year and people say, oh, you were right this year. You know, do you uh, know the term sunder? T, I might be saying it wrong, but T-S-U-N-D-E-R-E. It's like Sundari. Sundari, like, like, like evil anime girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. how you say it? Sundari? Sundari. Ain't no fucking way. Maybe in Japanese, yeah. but... It's um, Sundari. Yeah. Uh, do you have readings where it's like no, it's like nothing. They're giving you fucking nothing. Then they either come back and then they're like... Yes. Yes, or that does it's happen. like some point they break and they're like, then you can like, you, you have that pushing through. Well, that, that, that does happen. So when you start the reading, if it's a big reading, you can start the story and it's like cold. There's no reaction. And then you say something and it's like, oh, and they're there. And it's like, okay. And now they're curious. Now they're interested and it's because it, it, it is it's touching it's like when do we get there when do we hit it because I feel like that that also happens with um, like Ouija boards when it's like oh what's it doing and then oh oh and it's like, oh my god it's doing that exponential yeah and it is it so is it starts as nothing it starts because it's like oh this is this who's this idiot what is this stupid game and once the once that is broken, which is very very easy, because nobody's really doubtful. Changing the direction, worst responses. I have one that comes to mind that I witnessed. Is that a Dorian Electra like oh. after party concert thing? We were going around, we were talking to people, and this group of these three people came up and you know asked for readings. Or maybe it was like two of them did. The first two are fine. And this will happen a lot where it's like people don't know what they want a reading on. And they'll get really caught up in that moment where it's like, I have no fucking clue what I'm supposed to ask. Am I supposed to ask you about like family or relationships or money? But they, they're not even thinking like that. They're just like racking their brain for anything that they could that could possibly matter to them. And we're going around this circle and this last person can't think of something to ask about. So it's this really long silence. And then they finally break it in this like nervous voice where they're like, family guy. <laughs> and I think that that actually realized the family guy meme, the top format, the popularity of it, that one moment, the cosmic energy there. Yeah. Because I've seen you do this, but if it's a dumb one, you'll just be like, no. And you'll <laughs> close it and like immediately. <laughs> Very funny. Well, it's funny. Some, even the people who pay, some of them will have questions, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to answer that. Pick another one. There, there, there has to be standards, and this is a, this is a problem with the the psychic community in general. <laughs> it's like huge, yes, huge amounts of it. This is the call out, all of which talk. Anyone who calls themselves an astrologer, with the exception of like five people, that we know <laughs> or we talk about a lot personally. All of you, 
raise your standards? They need to be raised because it, it, I mean, do you ever hear the song Walter the Occultist? No. It's very good. I think the guy's name is Paul Rowland, I believe. He's described as the male Kate Bush. Okay. <laughs> so that's a that's, lofty... It's a very high, high regard. And, you know, it's like, um, once there were stars behind his eyes, but now they've dimmed and crystallized. The gods are cruel. They tease the fool who lifts the veil. And it's like... Um, the girls come to visit, they say, oh, um, will we marry the men from the pier? There, There's like the, the romantic, the monetary, these are like the lowest, most vulgar forms of reading. Because, and what I always suggest is like, we'll ask about it in general. Like, and or some people will be like, what's my future? And it's like, no, let's, you know, what's my week? What's my month? What's my year? And that's as far as it's worth going. Because at a certain point, it's like, what? You want your whole future? Like, like, I think somebody I'd done it for. And I told them, like, this is, this is a bad card. It's like, you should have asked for a shorter period of time. And you should have asked, what, can, what could I change? Instead of, you know, because it's a Macbeth situation. You, you create a very, very negative feedback loop when you ask the wrong question. That is, uh, I think, a, a profound experience of anyone who's actually spent time using a tarot deck is the feeling of asking the same question, not oh. being happy with a response. It's, yeah, and, and it's such a childish and immature. Like, I, there was a period this year when I was very unhappy, and, I was, and the cards stopped responding. They were like, fuck off, ask better questions. And then once you just start whimsy maxing again, when you stop, well, we're almost there. But I had two 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 quick thoughts. One is, the old way to get schizophrenia was through tarot cards. That was like the old way you could do it. Is you get into the feedback loop, and it's like an accelerated, mimetic like, think of all these like core archetypes that you would typically be encountering in circumstances where it's like. Oh, you know, this, these stars are in this placement. This is happening in my life at this point. And I'm like now confronting my mother or I'm confronting like my relationship with my friends. I'm confronting this, but it's like what tarot can do is it can really like pull all of that up really rapidly. So go ask the same question to your tarot deck 72 times and see what it's going to do to your mind back before the internet. That's how you could get schizophrenia. But now the for you page and all the little algorithms trying to like probe you to stay a bit longer. Digital tarot deck. That is that is continuously the, flipping the through the cards. Um, one of the one of the things that strikes me though is that I think I agree, but it's rarer. The most common one is more akin to the I Ching. Like I've known of the people I've known who've had schizophrenic breaks came from coins. They became obsessive about flipping coins, like Two-Face, like, like the comic book character. Two-Face flips a coin for every decision. And that is something I've seen people do. And in, in, in a comic book, in one of Grant Morrison's comics, in Arkham Asylum to help Two-Face start to move away from the coin method, they give him a tarot deck. That's funny. So that, 
that he has like all these different, you know, there's so many different options. They mean very different things. He has to kind of interpret. It's much less like, is this person going to live or die? I think um, what that gets at is, you know, as the mind opens itself up to so many possibilities, uh, at sort of the edges of the breaking point, you want to ground yourself into like recurring numbers or symbols. So in that instance, it'd be a coin flip. For a lot of people, it's like I keep seeing the same numbers mm -hmm. or it's like I keep seeing the same symbol. It's like the mind will kind of like hone in on one of the, the core things that's rattling at and kind of what's holding it together. This is a profound human weakness. This is a human weakness because of the Oedipal upbringing. Um, as Blake says, when, when the doors of perception are clear, all will be seen as it is, infinite. Things are not limited. No, dude, I, I got the big, I got Other the big than, theory. I got the big theory. The MIA, goons, vibe, put those three together, it's a triangle. The triangle. That's all you need. The all you need three. is the triangle. Three, 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 angel numbers. You see them. I've seen them. Tarot cards. Fuck them. Circles. Circles. Circles are zeros. Zero, zero, zero. Um, but that's what happens, is that, you know, there is, and there's a line in the Book of the Law that I think of often, which is, uh, I'm alone here. There is no God where I am. And that is terror because God is order, numbers, limits. The God that we named, not, not all of it. All of it is limitless. And so at that place where there is no God, that's when the terror sets in. And you have to make this, you have to make some form of order no matter how, and that's the problem. The schizophrenic sees reality and is terrified and creates a substitute of order because they know, you know, the matrix, they've seen past the veil, they've seen past the matrix, but bro, trust me, my system formed out of fear and terror, abject terror of the, the limitless nature of reality, I'm right. And that's what happens. There's an 11th number that if you put into the cliff off, you can actually uncode what Crowley was getting at. We yeah, found that out. Doth. Doth? Doth. This was what the dude was telling you. No, 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 no. No, no, no. He was saying that it's geo. You met the inventor of Doth? No, 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 no. He, 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 his thing was that geomancy is the correct means of interpreting the book of the law. And um, he's wrong because Aleister Crowley despises geomancy. I'm, I'm just, I'm riffing, but I, uh, oh God, that makes it, uh, what you were saying a second ago was making me think about, um, I saw it for the first time in a really long time. It was on like, it was on Reddit and I was looking, I, I have a proclivity towards subscribing to like anytime I find a community that I find like noxious or I'm like, why, why are these people like this? I'm like immediately in there looking at like sorting by all the types of posts and like lurking. And I saw the term sky daddy mentioned in the first time in a really long time. And it was just making me think about like, um, I know I've said this on the pod before I've said it in a lot of conversations, but like increasingly millennials are going to be like the largest market share and they're going to drive 
the vast majority of cultural conversations and the whole millennial boomer hate boner is because millennials are, you know, it skips a generation. They're the children of that, but they're also going to become that by proxy of like birth rates and the size of generations. But the sky daddy sentiment is widespread. I meet people constantly who like still scoff at religion, not even be able to comprehend why someone would want to be in religion. And in that, um, it's funny because they choose to forego, you know, a poorly constructed conception of what God could be for a limited God, which in their answer, it's like, oh, well, you know, science governs this or like the, the potential of this, but it's like limited by these laws. It's like you're projecting basically onto this void that you can't even fathom what other people might be experiencing. What you're projecting is actually what you have, which is like, oh, it must Sky Daddy must be like everything is rules. Everything is super ironclad. Like this is the exact way to do it, which is kind of the prevailing, um, I would say, thought system that is encouraged upon most people is like there are very strict limits to your class, your race, exactly who you are. That's what's so brilliant about China is that it's so clearly marketed in the belief systems. It's right, like, right now or before, like <laughs> Confucianism versus Taoism. Well, I mean, and they well, Confucianism was chosen, and Taoism has been eradicated. Like, the, the, I think um, the limitless Tao versus the absolute order of Confucianism. We should talk about capital in China. I think about China a lot, but it's it's fascinating. It's um, I. Just, I think there's so much we're going to see come out of it, but it's it's all largely like capital driven. It's not, um, I don't know how much I want to talk about some of the things. These, these are later, later hidden pod episodes, but yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of um, cultural exports coming out of China, but they're largely byproducts of like them very much mastering and understanding the, the core laws of capital, which, uh, I was actually listening to a book this morning called Think and Grow Rich by... I've heard of that. You've heard of it? It's uh, by this student or a journalist hired in like a life work by uh, Carnegie. And it's fucking fascinating. It's like such an interesting book because the beginning of it, he just goes through basically like every great person of the early 1900s. It's like Doheny, every president, like every fucking tycoon of any industry. And it's like, they were all students of Carnegie's secret law. And I'm like, this sounds like the best cult ever, which in every sense it is. It's, it's the cult of capital. And, um, you know, these things, which m- most would be like, oh, that, that guy's, he's got, he's, he's got a business mind. He's got his head screwed on tight. He's going to make a lot of money. Like that kind of shit is the system that, that won. And, the big, the big bet here is that in terms of cultures that have, through any number of processes, whether that is shredding your culture through particular revolutions or particular acts done to your populace en masse, IMO, the winner of the um, getting capital like seeped into the base consciousness, might be China. That's kind of the, the vibe I'm getting as I, as I exit out into the business world. But at the same time, this is this is like a brainlet take thing. We're we're both uh, we're both book book guys. We don't we don't have that much real world experience. I'm thinking about gumption. Mm. 
one of my very favorite excerpts from a book. I'm thinking about looking it up to read it, but it would alter the audio quality because the, the mic would yeah. move. But just the, the short the short of it. It's Margaret Mitchell. It's an excerpt from Gone with the Wind. And gumption is what post-war Southerners call it. It. Which is, why do some people make it and some people not? Why did even very, very strong, the people with their heads screwed on tight, why didn't they make it? And why did some of these, you know, complete idiots and fools make it? And that there was... Like it, survive it, the war or make it... Uh, survive the war. That some people, regardless, you know, there are things, and it's an impossible thing, and it's just gumption. It's just they had it. They were going to make it. They had gumption. And that was the defining trait. And it was not, you know, correlated with any other trait. It was just Race. having gumption or not having gumption as to whether or not you were... And, you know, the same thing can be said of any war, of any terrible time. It's just there are, you know, the people who make it and those who don't. Makes me think of the word grace. Mm. Having having God's grace. Yes. Well, here, a brief story. This is an important one. Uh, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, having been captured by the English, is inquisitioned. And... One of the questions they ask her, because she's uneducated, she's not like versed in theology. She wouldn't know the correct answer. So they ask, do you have the grace of God? Because if she says yes, it's not possible to know. She'd have pride and would be killed. And if she says no, then she was knowingly acting against God's will and would be killed. Can, she I, said, can I take a guess? I think I've heard the story before. She says, I hope so. Yes, she says, I don't know, but I hope so. Um, it's like uh, riding, riding the, the, uh, the cusp of materialist reality. You, you know, that, the wave collapsing, the particle? You got to ride, ride the vibe in between. Yes. Ride the Dow. The synchronicity freeway. It's amazing. I think synchronicity really is one of the great books, one of the great young books and one of the great books in general, one of the great 20th century books. And <clears throat> I think it's part of the reason why quantum physics is more compelling to laymen, because it speaks to spiritual feelings that are universal among people who are spiritual. Um, and it's like, bro, science is supporting our ideas. And it's generally the other way around. It's generally scientists who are already spiritual finding it. And then it's right. Then it's right. Like guesses that philosophers made, you know, thousands of years ago that are right, are it's the spirituality influencing reality. That's the fundamental idea is just like we do affect what we see. We do affect phenomena solely through perception. And that is the base, to Jung, it's the basis of the I Ching. That, I think he puts it very well, every moment has the distinct character of itself 
and that our perception of it, we can reflect symbols. We can find symbols of it. A time for every purpose under heaven. I listened to an Arabian night today. Have you heard of the Brass City? No, but that makes me think of a, is it like the Forgotten City, the Lovecraft thing? That's what it's, this is what that story is based on. But I'm not gonna, I won't tell the whole story, but basically, uh, the Shah and a bunch of his guys are hanging out, and he's been told the story of King Solomon, and how Solomon, through the grace of God, mastered the jinn, and forced them to build cities, and, um... We should go. When we go to the Middle East, the Jinn city is still around. We could go to a Jinn. Where, where is it? It's on a mountain island. In? I think it's Yemen. Okay. It's near, it's near, near Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And it's That's beautiful. Crazy. It's crazy. It's a huge, huge place. But he's like, oh, bring me back a, bring me back a few jars with demons in them. I'll, I'll pay for your family. Just go out. Go out and get me some demon jars. So they do. And, you know, they have to find a guide. They have to get on their way. And the guide's very, very, very old. He's a very old man. They get to the city at last after all these magical occurrences. They met a djinn. Kind of like Prometheus. He's, like, bound and is, like, constantly tormented. His eyes are on fire. Um, const- in constant torment. He's like, yeah, it's that way. And they go. They get to the city, and they have a ladder built because you can only open it from the inside, and everybody inside is dead. It's empty, and so they have a ladder built. One of the guys, he's like, I'll go. Gets to the top, he says, it's so beautiful, and throws himself down and kills and kills himself. And 12 guys do this. Just They get up, and they're like, I can do it. And they are all killing themselves when they get to the top. Only the old wise guy who they're all like, don't do it, because if you do it, we won't be able to find our way back. We'll all die here. And he says, I, I, I think I can do it. Have faith. And they say, you know, Allah willing, do it. And he goes and he prays. He's praying and praying and praying the entire time. And he gets to the top and he sees and he starts praying harder. And then he laughs. And he goes down, he walks down and he opens the gate. And he says, I saw what they were seeing. They were seeing beautiful, beautiful women and an ocean beneath them, like a, a beautiful lake. They all, they all thought they were jumping into water. This was a trick to keep outsiders out. But through Allah, I have surpassed it. And they all go in and there's amazing wealth. Amazing, just everything is stuck. It's like Pompeii, like everything is perfect perfectly preserved and the base lesson is is Solomon's lesson which is that none of this matters the wealth doesn't matter the power doesn't matter because God can take it away faith is the important thing and they take some of the demon jars and they go but prayer this is I think this is the the, the antidote to the millennial sky daddy logic, which is that there are things that you will kill yourself over. There are things that can make you die there and things that will kill your soul. But if you, if prayer is not 
I mean, I think that the Christians get it wrong too, where it's like, well, I pray and then I'll get money. I'll pray and then I'll get the worldly things that I, I should be avoiding. But prayer at its most base role is protection from the forces that will make you die. Speaking of the forces that will make you die. Oh, I thought you were taking out the cigarette. I thought you were taking out the cards. Um, I had like 50 thoughts during that, but the first one that comes to mind at the top of it was um, kind of building back upon the synchronicity freeway, highway, and what it feels like when you can kind of allow yourself to start seeing God or just the limitless nature of things. And it's deeply, deeply personal and universal at the same time. And I think, yeah, uh, well, the thing I, this is is me me saying something positive about the pod. It's probably like the, the thing that would bring us back to doing it consistently is when people reach out based off of things like that. And they're like, you know, you said this at this moment, and it was like this was happening in my life. And it's... do we, we get the Stitch reward for most synchronistic podcast? Stitch reward is that a thing? Stitcher. Maybe they, oh, they got podcast, podcast rewards. Right. Um, most synchronistic podcast. But yeah, no, I'll, we'll we'll plug something at at the end that will uh, hopefully um, allow you, if you are a keen listener uh, still around in this day, to uh, accelerate those happenings. But it does make me think about. Um, in the story, the just encountering gods and magical happenings just along the way, that kind of stuff is the types of things you might not know you're experiencing but are, are happening constantly. And Absolutely. I was listening to just a completely random thing earlier today, but it was people talking about um, two, two friends of the pod getting interviewed and talking about going to a restaurant in... Los Angeles, like a very fancy restaurant and then like encountering demons and stuff like that. And it's like, if you can allow yourself, you can, you can let go. You can stop thinking about, um, you know, any of the the many numbers of vices that might pollute your eyes when you look at the beautiful city. Um, I met an angel at a trivia night (laughs) at a bar once. You, You can be just like him. You can have it happen to you right this moment. Tell us about this angel. He was the creator of, like, the most... He gave us an answer. We were playing, and he gave us an answer. And then we just started talking. And he was he had this miraculous story, and he was just this very, very great guy. But I'm going to dox the angel. I'm going to dox... I don't know. I don't know his name, but I know what he made. He made the... I guess when he found out about Bluetooth, he made this tool to help hikers and people who mountain climb get rescued. He was like the inventor of this tool. I think it might have been called Bear Tooth or something. It was something along those lines. And it was like it was just like, wow, this is like a this is an angel, an earth angel. They're out there. I mean, uh, even in the, the height of a very uh, depressive stint in Los Angeles, all, all it took was following the, the freeway to meet some very fascinating people a few months back. Shout out, shout out Lydia Lunch. Shout out. 
Joseph Keckler. Joe Dark as well. Joe, Joe Dark for, for Earth Angel. Getting us. Yeah, he is he is an Earth Angel. The Dark Brothers are Earth Angels, no doubt. And that it simply takes a bit of whimsy to make up for what may even be a lifetime of morbs. What is what is that word? That word, it speaks how, to how me. Quaint, what a quaint word. Morbidities. Morbidity. The the morose, the misery. And it's an old it's an old Victorian word for being depressed, for being unhappy, for being morose. For like the zero point zero one percent of people who are allowed to be depressed back then who were not <laughs> forced into the mines. Um Yeah, the people the people who we who we think of because they were able to write about their lives. Well, yeah, no, well, that's 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 the that's the secret of it. But same time, that does just make me think about how less common mental illness was. But that's a that's a boring talking point. Now, what is it that interlinks the splendors of whimsy, the feeling of looking at a blade of grass and seeing everything? How many beyond? Angel, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? You should be able to dance on the head of a pin. Should be able to do all the TikTok dances on the head of a pin. The fact that we think of that question as a ridiculous question is proof I, I know. we are in a morb world. Oh, but wait, 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 let me finish. Let me finish. What interlinks the splendors that whimsy can bring, and this this horrid, depressive nonsense? Why are these things? Why are we bringing them up together? The I Ching says it best: there are no highs without lows. Don't cry about it. It's good. Don't cry about it, bitch. Um, I think this was this was the first thing we almost did maybe a month and a half ago to, to kind of revive the pod was a, uh, <laughs> it was a... It was a written bit. It might be funny to read it now, but the phones are in their arrangements and we could, we could freestyle it. But it's called On the Whimsy Maxing Problem. And uh, being... That was, in my, the, that, was, that was in my peak morgue. Yeah, I remember um, driving and talking to you about that. On the, the foremost, um, uh, as, as some of the foremost developers of whimsy maxing, the science of whimsy maxing, making it applicable and accessible in all of your lives, um, we quickly discovered we had we had found fool's gold. We were immediately experiencing these these crashes, these depths of hellish depression that would come so quickly. Uh, interlinked with these these beautiful magical experiences, and it was it was a good run though. It was like a, <laughs> a straight year of whimsy maxing, a straight year of whimsy maxing. About two and a half months of morbs. But <laughs> that's just it. Is it's it's the danger, the danger of it. Um, and I wouldn't even say the danger. I think maybe full integration is understanding that they're yeah, the they're one and the it. same. And that was what um, Hall, uh, Stephen Haller, the bishop of the gnostic church in like the very first mass that i went to there it was about that it was about the highs and lows and the truly enlightened person is like good because they have an eternal stability you gotta gotta be willing to feel that's honestly um i think artists are really good at it i saw um this is a weird 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 throwing into stuff but my, my mind is just a weird assembly of a bunch of media clips and Dominic Fike, 
had a weird quote. I was listening to an interview of him at Coachella, and he said, he was talking about love, but it was, I think, in this essence, which was, you know, in the throes of heartbreak and the throes of falling deeply in love, um, it's a foolish thing to try to repress or deny or, or almost avoid the bad feelings. It's like, that is where it all comes from, is, is feeling as deeply as possible, like, I was those told, moments. I was told that. You know, well, honestly, that's, that's, that's yeah, part of I, I think it about. might be, it might even be the same person yeah. who told us that. Um, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a super, this is going to make sense to someone like a year from now, it'll connect and you'll be like, you'll understand why that stuttering of conversation just happened there. But on the note of all of that, we have um, something to share, a beautiful, beautiful invention, something that's been hinted and teased at for many moons. Um, this camera's on us now, but I don't know if either of us... Uh, this, this could probably <laughs> suffice. What I'm holding in my hands right now, for those listening, is a uh, piece of technology that was uh, spoken to us, maybe... Well, a series, series of series of happenings. Today but might be the one-year anniversary. It could be. Of the writing of it. Um, what I'm holding is, is a gift... A gift from someone who, you know, I think has... Friend of the pod. Friend, <laughs> I wasn't going to say friend. I was going to say maybe, like, he's he's uh, he's channeling, he's inspiring, he's uh, maybe winking. The gift of Thoth. This is a tarot deck. Um, tell us. Tell us about it, Chris Gabriel. After a long period of studying ideograms of Chinese characters and their roots in images. They begin as pictures and become symbols, become symbolic depictions further and further removed from uh, drawings. I'd, there, was, there were other books that I'd read that kind of hinted at magical symbols sharing that characteristic. And yet I found it a woefully underdeveloped and understudied element of magical symbolism, which for a language, you know, a symbolic language that is so heavily utilized to not have the ideogrammic components understood is miserable and a huge problem. And so I set about grasping the pictures behind the symbols and thought it right to give uh, simple poems, simple lines to um, describe what is being depicted, which is um, a method from Ezra Pound. Um, he would take Chinese characters, give the ideogrammic breakdown to show like this is a picture of this. These are words that are pictures and the magical symbols are symbols that are pictures. And you, I think in truth, you will gain a much deeper understanding of magic, alchemy, astrology, uh, all of it, if you can see the pictures behind them. For those um, who might have somehow stumbled into this podcast or whatever mediums this, this reaches you through, who uh, are maybe a, a little more smooth-brained like myself, think of this as like, the greatest mixtape drop in the past maybe 70 years. It's got 
it's heavily inspired. You know how like albums, it's like, oh, this this was inspired by this artist. We got a fucking all star lineup. We got Ezra Pound. He hasn't he hasn't been on the radio <laughs> waves in a while. He just for good reason. But I was told something funny, very quick about that. Uh, a, a friend of ours with a popular podcast, she had said. I was initially thinking about calling it Radio Rome after I surfed out. Um, we got uh, <laughs> we got Ezra Pound. We got we got Thoth, Alistair Crowley, Alistair Crowley. Well, another another element that I think is worth talking about that it's because it's not really in in the it doesn't say it in the deck, yeah, but that's, are, this is vitally important: is that every, features these every, are our features, every single symbol in it was lifted directly from an ancient or from a deeply magical text. None of them are stock pictures. None of these are from a built font. We created a new font for the symbols. We created a new um, set of depictions of the symbols rooted in what I have found to be the most influential um, depictions. You know, I was not content with any set of the symbols. There was always something wrong with some of them. And honest to God, this is... I, I am the most happy with what we made. Think of these as the... Uh, you know, when you see a song and you're like, oh, it says featuring little Uzi Vert. We're like uh, the snow strippers. This is a, a weird deep cut for a very it's a future deep cut for people who might or might not know what i'm talking about but they're like a new crystal castles thing that everyone in fucking new york's going crazy for but they got little uzi vert we got fucking ezra pound we have the greatest magical texts on each card maybe you could decipher it maybe you could know who goes through i could drop a few we can drop a few (laughs) one or two (laughs) featuring alistair crowley so yeah yeah, that that makes sense featuring featuring Johan Daniel Milius featuring Jacob Bierma. All right, well, we got to cut it there. Um, can't can't reveal too many secrets. It's going to come with the extended, extended, extended pack release. With the book. Booster packs. There are Everything. booster packs. There's a lot coming. Yeah. But uh, by the time you're hearing this, there should be a store up. Head to uh, memeintelligenceagency.com. Maybe the... Maybe the Maybe there will be another link of some sort. I don't know, but go check it out. Get one, and uh, you might get a sticker. And there might be some some additional Easter eggs and hunts involved with uh, the dissemination of these powerful images. Never forget that we are not giving answers. We're giving better questions. We are providing mysteries upon mysteries. Mystery with this is the Tao. The mystery within the mystery the gate to all mysteries. We hope to provide merely like the djinn with his eyes burning out, a glance toward the door, a door that you may very well rise above and throw yourself from the wall of, lest ye engage in the prayers, the right prayers. Get a walk, walk the line, walk the highway. The gate is straight deep and wide, but the road of the Tao, the process of the Tao, is straight and narrow. Vibe harder. Vibe harder. It's a good hat. 
Um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Memes matter. Then I want to record a couple things which we'll cut into snippets for TikTok. This is, we cut it right at the end of the, the Memes Matter thing, but I want to do one that's like about the morbs. It's like a promo where it's like, I'll, I'll just start and then you, you can pick up after maybe a sentence or two. But just imagine it's like Andrew Tate, sideway facing head, text on screen below you, Subway Surfers. Are you laying in bed right now? On your side? Oh my god. You're morbid, bro. Are you depressed? Or are you just being a little baby, watching your phone? You want to know what's wrong with you? Well, you got the fucking morbs. You're not engaging in whimsy right now. There is no whimsy that can happen in your bed alone. You need to engage in whimsy. Open the door. Walk outside. Go into the woods. Meet a fairy. Meet a fairy in the city. Meet a fairy in the town. Go and get a coffee and meet an angel. You can do it. I was in Spain one time, 4 a.m., coming back from a bar. And I walked through the town. I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a good-looking guy. I made a couple million bucks. I'm on top of the world, but I was starting to feel maybe a little bit down on myself. Some guys have more money than me. Some people have, they have more good looks than me. I started to really get in my head. And then I encountered a, a feast of elves in the middle of the street. They welcomed me. They told me, hello, <laughs> we need you to join us, meet with us. And if I wasn't able to get my head out of my ass, I would have gone back and watched fucking TikToks. I was morbing hard. I went out for a taco, a taco that wasn't good, but I saw a fairy, and I went up and spoke to them and founded a great spiritual relationship. Anybody in the world in this moment could be meant to meet you, meant to speak to you. But when you choose to stay home, when you choose to be on the phone, because it's a choice, it's a choice day by day, the key to maintaining the vibe this is the secret key. You should be paying $500 for a course to hear this after 10 courses, but I'm gonna tell you part of it right now. The key is make it new. Day by day, make it new. Daily self-renewal. This has been the secret of great leaders like Ching Chang of the Chinese. <laughs> <coughs> King Arthur, uh, Harpocrates, Horus, the Empire of the Sun, all were maintained by daily self-renewal, by making it new day by day, by keeping it growing. And morbs are the destruction of growth. Morbs are daily self-regression. Daily self-regression, it's a choice that we make every single day. When you choose whimsy, you choose to make it new. You choose, like Rambeau, to see a, a broken bottle on the ground and to see not a broken bottle, but a gin suddenly freed 
a jinn enslaved, entrapped for centuries, aeons, freed, and now roaming the land that you could meet. You see the butt of a cigarette with pink lipstick, and you see the most beautiful girl in the world had once smoked this cigarette, and she's waiting just around the corner for you. You're not going to get there if you're on your fucking phone. If you're on the phone, you're not going to make it. I got a good one. Tis an angel. (laughs) Tis an angel blowing his horn. Tis a war cry of the Fae. Let me set the stage for you. It's 2017. I'm $30 million in debt. I'm sitting in a foreclosed property. The bank's calling me, telling me they're going to take my kids. I call the bank back and I tell them... (laughs) I tell them, look at the numbers one more time. They stop. Everything's quiet. I hear someone start to clap. They misread them. Suddenly, investors are calling me BlackRock. Uh, fucking SVB. Yes, SVB. They're asking me, what's my next move? And I tell them, I want to stay $30 million in debt. (laughs) The mobs, they're the low that I'm going to experience to get to the next high. I want to ride it out. I was given an offer. $10 million on the spot or a single moment of whimsy. I picked a single moment of whimsy, knowing what it would release, knowing what it would unlock. That $10 million, but you're still morbid on your phone, not worth it. I laughed. I asked them, what's the third option? (laughs) I want to go to hell. (laughs) I say to God day by day, send your strongest morbs. My whimsy will overcome it. I have faith that day by day, up and high, down and low, I will find God.